0: Hi everybody, my name is Grant Fishbook. I'm the lead teaching pastor at Christ the King Bellingham. And I just wanna thank you for accessing our latest message online. Thank you so much for joining us today. I wanna say that one of the things we value the most at Christ the King is biblical community. And so if you're watching this uh, in our area, we'd love to invite you to come and join us on any weekend at one of our five campuses. If you're watching somewhere around the world or somewhere else in the country, we just wanna encourage you to make sure that this is not a substitute for your attendance or your connection at a local church. And we really want you to find a family where you can grow, where you can give, and where you can receive as well. So we're continuing our series called Taboo Two. Taboo Two is really an opportunity for us to have conversations in church about topics we don't normally talk about. In church so in just a few moments we're going to walk into the worship center if you've missed any content up to this point I'd encourage you to go back in the sermon archive and catch up with us but let's head into the worship center right now as we continue our series taboo 2 good morning, sleep-in service. It's good to see you guys. Glad you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and we are going to dive right in. To those of you that are joining us online, I want you to know what just happened. So we've had an opportunity all weekend to be baptizing people, and we love that moment when someone comes up out of the water because they are identifying with the life, the resurrection of Jesus. The part that kind of freaks us out and makes us a little nervous is when we put them under the water. Because we're identifying with the death of Jesus, and that's when you all hold your breath and wonder whether or not we're going to bring Him back up again, right? That's the question. So, we all get a little bit spooked, and I want you to know there will be a little bit of tension today as we talk about a really, really difficult topic. But let's dive just straight in with a startling truth that nobody wants to talk about. I don't know if you know this or not, but everybody in this room, we're all dying right now. Aren't you glad you came to church? Isn't that so encouraging? I mean, here's what the Bible says in the book of Job, chapter 14, verse 5. A person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits that he cannot exceed. The Bible also says it's appointed for a man or a woman once to die. It's inevitable, and that's why it freaks us out. That's why nobody wants to talk about death and dying. Ernest Becker wrote a book called The Denial of Death. And in it, he says this, the idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. Ernest Becker wrote those words in 1974. That was the year his book was published. That was the year he won a Pulitzer Prize for that book. That was the year he was diagnosed with cancer. That was the year he gave his life to Jesus. That was the year he died. As a pastor, I actually have to deal with death regularly. And this past summer, if you were here, you heard me at different times beg you as a congregation to pray for us because day after day, week after week, we just had funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral, and it was exhausting. I experienced full-blown compassion fatigue because you can't walk into a scene where someone has passed away and not feel the pain of the family that you're working with. We just had so many funerals that it's caused me, I'm actually declaring a moratorium, okay? No one else is allowed to die at Christ the King Church between now and the end of the year. Agreed? Okay, nobody else. In dealing with death, I actually run into some common reactions to death. One is avoidance, where we just say, I'm not talking about it. And we do a really good job of completely avoiding the D word. In fact, if you work within the the funeral industry, you learn a rule very, very quickly. You can say anything you want to, but you don't say the D word. They're never dead, they're a decedent. And they come up with a whole new language. It's never, uh, it's, it's always a loved one, it's never a corpse. It was a cemetery, which is Greek for sleeping place, but we don't call it that anymore. It's never, ever, ever a gravesite. In fact, what they call it now is a memorial park because we just want it to feel better. They're funeral directors, not undertakers. There's chapels, not funeral parlors. They're not even ashes anymore. They are cremains. And whatever you do, you just never, ever, ever say the word death because it makes people uncomfortable. Instead, we come up with insensitive words that I've actually heard at funerals in the last 60 days. We say they're taking a dirt nap, they're entering the fertilizer business, or their tab just got called at a bar called Life. I've actually heard people say that at a funeral. It's horrible. We talk about it, sort of, but if we've got any choice in it, we avoid the topic at all costs. If we can't avoid it completely, then we minimize it. We say, it's not that big of a deal. I have an atheist friend. We actually talk about life and death a lot. And his statement on death is simple. He says, Grant, what happens after death is the same thing that happened before you were born. There's just nothing there. And my response to him is always the same thing. I'm like, dude, if you don't have an issue with dying and it's just nothing, why are you always bringing it up? Why are we always talking about this? And the answer is simple. It's fear. It's fear. It's fear. Woody Allen said this, it's not that I don't want to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. That's the way so many (laughs) of us feel. And if we don't minimize it, we tend to react with insensitivity. Once again, I've actually heard people say these things at a funeral to someone who's grieving the loss of their loved one. Just a week and a half ago, I heard someone say, try to look for the good in the situation. Well, for the record, you can't do that when your heart's broken. I've heard people say, they're in a better place. You know what? For that person, they're saying, the only place that's better for my loved one to be is right here with me. That's why I'm hurting so bad. I've heard people say, I know how you feel. For the record, from someone who's actually had that been said to, I would say this, you can't know how I feel because you may have lost your father, but you've never lost my dad. Not that my dad's dying or dead. He's fine, okay? And for the record... If you're from Christ the King Church and I ever hear you say this at a funeral or in the home of someone who's lost a loved one, if I hear these words come out of your mouth, God must have needed another angel. I will lose my salvation for 12 seconds, drive my heel through the top of your foot so that you can't speak again for the next hour. Do you have any idea how cruel that is? Do you have any idea what kind of a picture of God it creates in that person's mind when you turn God into a great big taker, for the record, if you don't know what to say, say nothing. Just be there. Just be there. Another common reaction is what I call strategic extension. We think to ourselves, I could beat death, and we're all doing it at some level, right? We use health clubs, fad diets, face cream, hair dye, warmer climates, organic bacon, and better doctors to try and delay death as best we can. And if that doesn't work, there's a new option called Cryogenics. The Alcor Life Extension Company, for a small reasonable fee, will freeze you like a frozen pizza until they create the technology for you to be rebaked and regenerated somewhere in the future. If that doesn't work for you, immortal genes in Seattle, Washington, will take your DNA and put it in a paperweight that one of your loved ones can cherish and love until DNA science catches up and you can be regenerated. My question with that is this. What happens if your loved one loses the paperweight? (laughs) Where'd Uncle Grant go? I don't know. Somebody threw him out, right? (laughs) Here's another common reaction, right? It's immersion. and just stuck in it. All weekend long, I've been talking to people who've said, I'm so stuck in the grief from losing a loved one that I don't feel like I'm living anymore. I've heard people say, I'm stuck in a fear, so stuck in the fear that I might die tomorrow that I don't feel like I can live at all today. I've heard people say, I'm stuck in a terminal diagnosis, so I'm just frozen in fear. Those are some common reactions. My atheist friend who always wants to talk about death, he thinks I'm crazy. Because I've looked him in the eye and said, I'm not afraid to die. Not looking for it. Not seeking it out. But I can tell him, I'm not afraid to die for one reason. Jesus. That changes everything. So I'm going to cover this quickly. Here's some biblical theology on the taboo topic of death and dying, and I'm speaking right now specifically to those of you who would consider yourself a follower of Jesus. Here's something that hopefully we know. Number one, death is a final moment followed by a brand new beginning. The Apostle Paul is at the end of his life. He's at the end of his life, and he said this, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, like the contents of my life are being poured out across a table. And he says, and the time for my departure is near. That word departure in Greek is a military term that means to to break camp, to take your tent down, and then head for home. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 7, he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith, and now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to everyone, but to all who have longed for his appearing I like to put it this way if you're a follower of Jesus your last breath here is your first breath there and there is home it's home secondly death is an upgrade to a promised eternity paul said these famous words maybe you can finish it with me for me to live is christ and die is gain it's a gain paul saw death as a doorway to eternity he saw it as an upgrade from his present condition and he actually described Through through John at the end of the book, uh, end of the books of the Bible in Revelation 21, what's waiting for us on the other side of that door, that transition point? Well, let me read these words. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God, and He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying." or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. That's a description of what's waiting on the other side of death for those who know Jesus. I got a question. Is what was described in 21, does that sound just a little better than what you're dealing with right now? Let's keep going. For those who believe in Jesus, death is a victory. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul also said this, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Here's a bunch of words, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. And then come two of the best questions that I've ever heard. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, I mean, so this is what you need to know. Death is like a scorpion without a stinger. It's like a lion with no teeth, it's like a bull with no horns. It acts like it's all that, but it has no game whatsoever. That's what our Bible teaches us. For a follower of Jesus, I know it sounds crazy, but death is neither fatal nor final. And that's good news. And finally, death is hope. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. We have hope today because according to the Bible, death does not have the final word. Not when it comes to people who know the King of life. So, we've been talking about Jesus. Let's actually get to him. Let's, let's watch him confront death head on. If you've got a Bible with you, Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 11 and encourage you to either turn in your Bible or in your app so that you can check out and find out whether or not I am lying to you, okay? Luke chapter 7, verse 11 says this. We're just going to walk through the story soon afterward. Jesus went to a town called Nain. Let's stop there for a second. Here's what you need to know about a town called Nain. You can do all kinds of research. There's nothing to know about a town called Nain, okay? It's just a podong town in the middle of nowhere. Could have been Custer, could have been Acme, could have been Linden. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to get in trouble. Let's keep going. (laughs) Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. So get the picture in your mind. There's one procession heading into this town, being led by the king of life. Verse 12 says this, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Get the picture? One procession heading into town, being led by the king of life. Another funeral procession coming out of town. They're on a march of death, and it's not fun. So This story starts with two large crowds, and they're on a collision course with each other. Verse 13 says this, when the Lord saw her, let me explain who she is. So she's the mom of this young man who has died. And here's a problem. It says she's a widow. In this culture, if you were a widow and you'd lost your only son, you did not have any options either than prostitution and beg- or begging. She's got no hope. And verse 13 says this, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. We've got two broken hearts. Two broken hearts. Hers is broken because she's lost her son. Jesus' heart's broken because he sees her pain. He feels the pain of hopelessness, the pain of grief. It's deep inside of him. Now be really, really careful because what happens next appears to be really, really, really insensitive. The Bible says Jesus looked at her and said, Don't cry. What's up with that? You mean don't cry. What do you mean, look, on the bright side? There is no bright side. In fact, I would say those words actually appear to be cruel unless you know what's coming next. And then it's just good preparation. Let me tell you what's coming. The irresistible force is about to meet the immovable object, and we're going to see a law get broken. You've been taught your whole life that there are two things in life that are inevitable, death and Taxes. Not talking about taxes, wrong time of the year. So, we're going to talk about death, and I want you to know something. If you have believed and been taught your whole life that death is inevitable, you've been taught wrong. You've been taught completely wrong. I want you to know this Death, the irresistible force, moves when the irresistible object of the King of Life tells it to move. And if you want to see what happens, look at verse 14. Then he went up, meaning Jesus, touched the buyer, That they were carrying him on. For the record, just so you know, every Jewish person in that moment would have gone, uh, gross. You didn't do that. You didn't touch dead people, and you didn't touch caskets. You most certainly didn't touch funeral stretchers because it makes you ceremonially unclean. Can I tell you what Jesus is doing by touching that dead? body-bearing stretcher. He's saying this to all of us. I'm the king of kings and I'm willing to get my hands dirty in anything that's killing you. That's awesome. He moves to the funeral stretcher. The pallbearers stand still and here it is. We got two mortal enemies, life and death. And listen to the king speak. He says, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. Can you imagine what he must have been talking about in that moment? Just let your imagination run wild. And then I love these words. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. In the midst of all of this pain, there's still hope. Why is there hope? Because in a showdown between life and death, there's only one winner. Jesus wins, and look what happens. Verse 16, they were all filled with awe and praised God, and a great prophet has appeared amongst us. They said, God has come to help his people, and this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. I mean, this is incredible. These two funeral, one funeral procession and one procession of life suddenly get mixed in together, and it becomes a party. There's one celebration. You need to hear this. Jesus will mess up your funeral. In fact, if you notice, if you read in scripture, every single funeral that Jesus ever showed up, he completely messed it up. Funeral starts, party ends, every single time. Lazarus is dead for three days. Jesus shows up, suddenly the dead guy's back alive again, and everybody's throwing a party. The lady from Nain, she thinks all hope is gone. The king of life shows up, suddenly no more funeral exchange for a party. I mean, think about this. Jesus messed up his own funeral. They stick him in the ground after hanging on a cross. He's in there for three days. Everybody thinks this story is over. It's completely finished. And then Jesus completely messes up everybody's grieving process by boom, don't count the boy out yet. (laughs) Still alive. Still kicking. I mean, why does the Bible... I love these questions. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? That's hope right there. You know why I love talking about the taboo topic of divorce and death and addiction? Because you can't talk about those tough topics can't talk about them without involving Jesus' hope. And sleep in service, you need to pray for me because the next three weeks, hell, racism, and suicide. Whee! <laughs> Let's shift gears completely. So we talked about how we, didn't, we just don't like talking about death. And then we talked about Some biblical theology that we see death differently because we're followers of the king of life. And then we have this moment where we see Jesus actually confront death head on and win like he always does. Now I want to get super, super practical. I have sat with so many families over the last 28 years as they've had to say goodbye to someone that they love. And it's painful and it's hard. And I've seen examples of people who have died and transitioned really, really well. And I've seen people who have not died well, and I've seen the pain and the hurt and the woundedness that hits their family. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Can you help me love your family well if you make it to the finish line before I do? Can you help me love them well? Let me give you just a a pastor's thoughts on dying well, okay? Here's number one. For the love of Jesus, say the words. Say the words. Don't leave any question in their mind as to where you are and how you're doing. If you're a follower of Christ, you have reason to be unbelievably hopeful because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Make sure your family knows that. Listen to Job make a declaration in Job 13, 15. He said, though he slay me, even if God takes me out, yet I will hope in him. Is there any question where Job stood when it came to eternity? I'm begging you to do the same thing. Don't leave any question in your family's mind that you are a follower of Jesus, that you have the promise of heaven, that you got your upgrade, and that you're fine, that you're more alive in that moment than they could ever dream of being, in fact, I'm going to ask you to help me out. If I come to your family after you have passed away and you're a part of this church, I'm going to ask them to do something. So I'm going to give you a heads up way ahead of time. I'm going to ask them to find your Bible. And I'm going to say, I want you to go to a table and I want you to hold the Bible up with the spine down. And then I just want you to let your hands fall. Because I promise you, the Bible will naturally fall open at your favorite scripture. It just does. Where you spend the most time That's where the Bible's going to fall open, and here's what I want you to do. Better than even saying the words, I want you to write something down on a piece of paper and stick it right in there. I want you to write something like this, I know you're sad, but I'm okay. I knew Jesus, and my last breath there was my first breath here, and you can know I'm good, I'm okay. I'm safe. Jesus was everything he said he was going to be and more. Don't leave any question at all. In fact, I'm going to ask one of you to do me a favor. Dan Storgard, you're a good friend. So, Danny, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. If they do a funeral for me, okay, if, not sure anybody will cry, but if they do a funeral for me, if they get through the whole thing and people are still crying and mourning, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to grab a backup microphone. I want you to get up on this platform, and I want you to say this. For the record, to everybody in the room, you need to know one thing about Grant Ernest Fishbook. Don't laugh at my middle name. I'm named after my dad, okay? There's one thing you need to know about Grant Fishbook. The boy ain't dead. He's not dead. He's alive. He's not here. Cry if you want to. He got home. And he left no doubt in anybody's mind that Jesus was enough for him. Say the words. Say the words. Number two, mend the fences. I've watched families fight over top of a casket. I've watched families heal over top of a casket. If you're a follower of Christ, Romans 12 says this, As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do you hear that? As far as it depends on you, not anybody else, live at peace with everyone. I've seen this. Death brings out the best and the worst in family systems. If you want the best to come out in your family system, when you go home to be with Jesus, you need to start right now. Make the decision to forgive those who need to be forgiven. Refuse to be bitter. Let it go. Release people from your judgment. And just forgive as the Lord forgave you. And can you do me another big favor? Don't wait until you're on your deathbed to do it. Here's a novel thought start today. Some of you need to go home and make a phone call and mend a fence. Some of you need to go home and write a letter and mend a fence. Some of you need to go from church straight to somebody's doorstep and knock on the door. And don't get stuck in that awful place of, well, I would be willing to forgive if they would just ask me. I want to remind you of something. Jesus didn't do it that way. He forgave first. Hanging on a cross. Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. Go first. Here's number three. I know this is going to seem interesting for some of you. But let me say it. Can you leave some instructions For the love of Jesus and your family, leave some instructions. There was a family here last night who was part of our baptismal service. Last night was incredible. To those people who skipped the Husky game and came to church, oh my goodness. We had a group of about 20 people who drove all the way from Spokane, Washington, to see two high school kids get baptized last night. It was incredible. It was amazing. It was beautiful. But as I'm watching the baptism, I see there's a family sitting right over there on the Saturday night, right on the aisle. They've been in the probate process because they lost a loved one. The loved one didn't have a will. They've been stuck in the probate process of Washington State for almost two years. I'm going to tell you something. If you don't have a plan for your assets, the government most certainly does. And you don't want to put your loved ones through that process. What's the answer? Actually, write a will you want to know if I practice what I preach, Laurel and I have an appointment on Thursday to update our will. This is important. Do an advanced medical directive, appoint trustworthy people to handle your affairs, and on behalf of all of the children in the room, mom and dad, for the love of God, please liquidate some of your stuff. It was cool. In 1969. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> you just say, Grant, like, where, where's that coming from? Well, let me give you an agricultural perspective from the Bible. The Bible says this in the book of Proverbs. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your hurts. Now, I know it's agricultural, but it's saying this beautiful principle. Know where you're at. Plan ahead. Make a plan and leverage God's blessing, not just for your family, but for the family of God. I want you guys to have some of what I leave behind for one reason, because I'm trusting you're going to get somebody else to come stand up here and like a band with one song, talk about Jesus every single week. I want my legacy to go beyond my own life. And some of you are just like, I don't understand why that's such a big deal. Really? You should read the end of that verse that just talked about the herds and the flocks. It says this, riches do not endure forever and a crown is not secure for all generations. Make a plan. Let me tell you a story. My friend Terry Sparks passed away about two years ago. Terry used to come on Saturday nights. He was a tall regal-looking man. He used to sit right in front of the camera, right back there. Terry and his beautiful wife, Rebecca. Terry was one of those guys. He, he was an encourager. He was a Barnabas. Even if the message was horrible, he would find something to encourage me with. He had an incredible memory. He liked to, to quote poetry and quote scripture, and he would do that for me at times. It was an encouragement, because I'm a terrible memorizer. When Terry found out that he was battling cancer again, he left an instruction for me. He said, I want you to sing at my funeral. Some of you guys remember years and years and years ago. I actually was the worship guy here before I started being the talking guy back when I had a mullet. And we used to clap on two and four with every single song. That's just the way it was, right? I told Terry, just like, Terry I just said, Terry, I don't sing anymore. He goes, yeah, I know, but I wrote it down. <laughs> Grant's going to sing. How do you say no to that, right? He's facing the transition point between mortality and immortality. And he says, I want you to sing at my funeral. Can't say no. He wrote it down. I remember what I sang at his funeral. Some of you in the room who've been doing church a long time will recognize this. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face. The one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand. And leads me to the promised land. Oh what a day. Glorious day. That will be. You know, it was really cool. 9:30 knew it, and they sang along with me, which is cool. <laughs> Write it down for the record. I do not do interpretive dance. Okay, let's move on. All right. <laughs> Number four, rest easy. I love these verses. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Can I tell you something? If you know Jesus, you can rest easy, because all this stuff, this is temporary. This is not real. When are we going to learn? This is all going to burn and there'll be nothing left to say, but Lord, take me home. Ecclesiastes 3 says he's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also said eternity in the human heart. So that means even death can be beautiful in the hands of God because I want you to know something. You were not born to die. You were born to live. And you can live eternally by giving your heart to Christ. Here's number five. Let's wrap up. If you've lost somebody You need to grieve. You need to mourn. You need to go through the process. You don't need to buck up. You don't need to not cry. You actually need to enter into the spiritual beauty of grieving and hurting. If that wasn't true, why did God say in Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and gives grace to those who are crushed in spirit? I've watched this happen. You may be able to delay grief, but you can't defer it completely. You have to walk in there. And that's why it's so beautiful. One of the descriptors of Jesus, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. It was okay for Jesus to grieve. It's okay for you to mourn too. Mourning is a godly exercise that if you fully enter into has a promise on the other side. And the promise is that you're going to get to live again someday. So, like I said, I've done way too many funerals in the past month. Too many tragedies, too many suicides. And they all take a toll, but here's what I know. If you know Christ, even talking about death and dying, you can bring hope. So, let me bring hope one last way, and then we're going to wrap up. So, I used to do a lot of ministry in inner city Los Angeles. I used to take high school kids to inner city LA, to Skid Row we used to do a lot of work down there. And whenever we went down to LA, I always took the kids on a weekend to Faithful Central Bible Church. Pastor Kenneth Ulmer is the pastor there. When I grow up, I want to preach like Kenneth Ulmer. I mean, this guy can bring the word like you have never experienced before in your life. And so I used to take kids there because I just wanted them to experience real preaching a couple of times a year. And And I remember the last time I was with Faithful Central, and and Bishop Ulmer got up and he told a story, and he was such a good storyteller, it stuck in my brain. He told a story about two friends who went to a museum. They were going to look at a very specific painting. The name of the painting was Checkmate. And what had been illustrated by the artist was a game of chess that was being played between a man and the devil himself. And you could tell by the man's body language in the painting that it looked like he had been defeated, that that by the position of the pieces on the board, that he was in checkmate, that the devil had him, that there was no options, that ultimately death had come to visit and there was no way for him to win. And they stood and stared at the painting for a long period of time, seeing this epic battle between a man who was obviously in checkmate and had lost to the enemy of his soul. And one of them just kept standing in front of the painting. Finally, his friend got impatient and said, like, can we go? And he goes, no, 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 there's something wrong with this. There's something wrong with this. This is, this is not right. There's something off. And his friend kept pressing in saying, I don't understand. Like, I mean, it's just a painting. I don't understand. And the friend kept pacing back and forth in front of the painting. Picture it in your mind, the devil and a man the board says, checkmate, and he kept walking back and forth going, this is not right, something's wrong, this is not right, something's wrong, his friend said, I don't understand why you're so upset. And finally, he said, you want to know why I'm upset? I've actually spent my life studying the game of chess. I'm a chess master, and something is not right about this painting. And he kept walking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, until suddenly, in the quietness of a museum, he broke the silence as if somebody needs to call the artist. He needs to change the name of his painting, because I know one thing. I'm a chess master, and the king has one more move. (laughs) This widow thought her son was dead. Not true. Why? The king still had one more move. Lazarus was dead for three days. Everybody thought the story was over until Jesus showed up. Why did everybody freak out? Because the king still had one more move. They thought Jesus was dead. This movement was finished. Christianity was completely and totally done. Here's what they didn't know. For three days, the king was waiting to make his move. Somebody say amen. I was screwed up. Broken, hopeless. I thought the devil had me until Jesus showed up and said, No, 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 no. I got one more move. I don't care how badly you may be broken or hurting. Today, I don't know and don't care how many of you actually feel like death would be a comfort. This one thing you need to know. I'm not a chess master. I'm a sinner saved by grace, and you need to comfort yourself with this thought. You might feel dead, but the king has one more move. My prayer is that today, you'll take a step towards him. That you'll give your heart fully and completely to Jesus today. That you'll confess your sin, repent, receive his forgiveness. Allow him to make the move of grace and mercy in your life. And to live differently, to live differently as you walk out than as you were living when you walked in. Because even in the face of death and dying, you will always know. <laughs> My king has one more move. We want to get super practical today, and so I'm going to invite Wendy to come for about 120 seconds or so, and Wendy is going to give you some practical. So when we did addiction, we talked about, we talked about some very practical ways that you could get help, and then last week for divorce, we had divorce care for women, divorce care for men, all of these options, and, and Wendy is kind of the, she's the next steps person for us, and so she's going to talk about how we can practically walk alongside of those of you who may have experienced grief or mourning or living it right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Something we do want you to know is that every quarter at Christ the King, we create spaces that we hope are safe places for you to encounter God in the midst of your hurt and find healing. In fact, we believe that the grief process was actually designed by God for our souls. Except if I can be honest, we're actually not very good at this. This is a spiritual skill that most of us don't have. And so we want to come alongside you and show you how to find him in the middle of it and to move through. So for this fall, we have two opportunities that are starting tomorrow night on Mondays. The first one is for adults, and it's called Grace to Grieve. It's offered by a local Christian counselor I'm awfully fond of named Janet Robinson. She does a great job of just creating a place of prayer and a biblical foundation to process what it is you've lost, whether that's a loved one, a job, a life stage, a relationship, Uh, So many losses in life, all of them deserve to be grieved. And happening at the very same time downstairs for our kids is the Compass program will be going through something we call Changes. And it's actually a curriculum that teaches little people how to process big feelings. Uh, We'd like to believe that kids are so resilient they don't need to grieve. Can I say that's not true? Little people lose too, and they need our help to learn how. Uh, So I would love to tell you more about that in the commons. The other thing that I've got with me are some financial and medical planning resources. Like Grant said, leave instructions. Don't make this harder than it has to be for your loved ones. So I'll see you in the commons.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Wendy. I appreciate that. So I'm looking around the room right now and I'm counting. And I'm up to 11 families that are sitting in the room right now that I've had to do a funeral with over the last couple of years. Twelve. If you don't think this is real, the young man who led worship this morning, Andy, Andy's dad just passed away. We're all living in this. But there's hope. Hope is in the king of life. Always is one more move. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? Father God, I thank you today for a family of faith that's not afraid to go into these dark and difficult areas. God, I pray over all of my brothers and sisters that we would have the grace to grieve. God, I thank you that you are a God who experienced deep emotion. And you'll walk us through all of it until we can come to that place where we begin to heal, where we begin to be transformed. God, will leave the timing to you. Lord, I pray for all of my friends who are grieving and mourning today. May they know that there is a God in heaven who loves and cares for them. Lord, I pray for those who may not know Jesus at all today. And I pray that today, in a moment of humility, confession, that they would come to you and give their life to you so that they can be assured of eternity and spend this life honoring you with every day of their life. Father, I pray for courage for those who need, to, who need the grace to grieve. I pray for those who need courage in order to do some preparation. Lord, we just give this entire difficult season and topic back to you. And I thank you that in doing that, we are giving it to king of life. We pray these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, amen. I want to thank you so much for joining us today online. I want to give you an opportunity again to really get connected into community. And so if you're in Whatcom County, we'd love to have you join us at one of our five campuses. If you're not in Whatcom County, we really want to encourage you again to get plugged into a local church. To find out more about Christ the King or to give online or to submit a prayer request, I want to encourage you to go to ctk.church. Once again, thank you for joining us.